Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Jessica, Executive Director of Wild Cumberland. And I'm Devin, a Wild Cumberland volunteer. We appreciate you being here. In today's episode, we're going to give some updates on the litigation related to Cumberland Island's feral horses. We'll also highlight the development of yet another plan for the seashore, as well as some bills that you should have on your radar that could have implications for wilderness. We tell you this every month, but it's true. Our monthly email newsletter is the very best way to stay up to date on issues affecting Cumberland Island and its wilderness. That's right. So if you're not already subscribed, go to our website, wildcumberland.org, and sign up right now. If you are a subscriber, that means you are the first to know that we have announced the return of our virtual silent auction. Oh, I want to applaud here. This is very big news. <laughs> if you love Cumberland Island, you will not want to miss this three-day event in May of this year, 2024. It's the perfect gift-giving solution for all those big events happening in our lives during that time of year. I mean, it's time perfectly for, what, Mother's Day, graduation, wedding season. You're absolutely right. And we strive to highlight independent artists and businesses in all that we do. This fundraiser is no exception. I wish I could share more about the things we're featuring, but I can't yet. <laughs> we promise that to our email newsletter subscribers first. Um, but I can share that we, Wild Cumberland, is participating in the Atlanta Science Festival this spring. Here we go. This yeah. is our second annual. Well, we've, we missed a year. We've done this right, once. We right. missed a year. We skipped a year. And we're back. Uh, so if you're a Metro Atlanta supporter, you'll want to make plans to join us. We are collaborating with... Some super talented folks over at Seven Stages Theater and the incredible artist Dorothy O'Connor to provide, I think I'd call this an immersive experience. Yes. Uh, focused on empowerment and advocacy. So we're going to come together as scientists, advocates, artists, and members of the public to engage in a different kind of conversation. Um, it's going to be really fun. And there may be food and beverages. Don't tell me that there's going to be food and beverages. There may be food and beverages, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have more details available for everybody soon. Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, I've never been to the Seven Stages Theater. Oh, so you're missing out. I know. I, I can't wait to be there. So you'll keep us posted on how to get tickets, right? Yep. There'll be a limited number of tickets available, but we will absolutely keep you posted. Awesome. Can't wait. So let's get into some Cumberland Island news. Yeah, let's do it. But... Can we start with a piece of good news? For sure. Yes. <laughs> so on December 28th, the sixth North Atlantic right whale calf of the season was spotted off the coast of Cumberland Island. This yes. Is super exciting. Clearwater Marine Aquarium captured a great image of 19-year-old Halo, is her name, and her third documented calf. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, jump over to Clearwater Marine Aquarium and uh, you can learn all about that. We're only one month into the breeding season for North Atlantic right whales, and I think a total of nine calves have been spotted already. Yep. So we're off to a pretty good start. Speaking of research, we provided a link in our January newsletter to an MPS publication that's produced every quarter called the Southeast Coast Network News. Let me say that again. Southeast Coast Network News. It's a lot to, to get out. It gives some details about specific research and projects across our park region. Yeah. So if you click through to check that out, you probably noted a reference to the development of yet another plan for the seashore. <laughs> This time, it was something identified as a resource stewardship strategy, otherwise known as an RSS. Mm. They're described like this, and I'll quote specifically from park materials, so 
I can so be it's accurate, accurate, right? <clears throat> and it says that input was solicited from park staff and regional partners to develop a planning document that bridges the gap between the park's foundation document and everyday management of natural and cultural resources at the park. Um, it's supposed to be, and again, I quote, uh, these things are like strategies to get parks from where they are to where they say they want to be. Um, and this is new. So <laughs> <We're> new. <laughs> uh, this term resource stewardship strategy is mentioned a couple different times in the agency's own management policies, but wilderness management plans, on the other hand, have entire chapters mm, <laughs> dedicated yep. to them within those same policies. So um, I am, of course, a little reticent to comment further until we see a wilderness management plan, <laughs> but I am hopeful that perhaps um, the resource stewardship strategy might move us in that direction. Similar to the business plans that some park units have, though. The business plans? Oh, for, for parks? Yes, so some parks have business mm. plans. I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know this either until very recently. Um, Cumberland Island does have a business plan. It was developed way back in 2016, though it's never been made publicly available. Um, and we can talk more about that in future episodes, the business plan specifically. Sure. So we, we got the business plan. We got an RSS, but we don't have the wilderness management plan. Correct. There's never hmm. been a wilderness never. management plan in the 40-year history of the seashore. Hmm. But back to the RSS. Right. For Can't the moment. forget about that. Right. Just to say that these are not like required planning documents. And they say that. And they're not publicly reviewed decision documents. Hmm. I have a lot of questions about that one. So Go ahead, like, Devin. <laughs> what is the strategy supposed to accomplish? Um, you know, who are the regional partners involved? They do mention regional partners yep. in it. I'd like to know who those are. Um, it was a very short blurb about the RSS that they put in that. So there's a there's a lot of questions left over. Could any of this relate to the horse litigation? Um, how does the timing of this plan relate to our current leadership with the superintendent vacancy? Right. Um, which I think we have some news later on about that, possibly. Um, I don't know. There's just so many other questions about it that are completely left open-ended. Yeah. I mean, could it be that local management's getting back on track? Or is it sort it's, of a workaround yeah. to the opposition they received for the visitor use management plan they right. proposed last year? Lots of questions. Mm. Um they're only one. Only the National Park Service can answer, of course. Um, we did inquire with the interim superintendent, Steve Theus. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and he said that the park staff are considering the proposed actions in VOMP, though it is unapproved and not implemented as they develop the RSS. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so VOMP, which is not approved, they are still considering those proposed actions from the unapproved VOMP right. and trying to include it in the RSS? Is it that what sounds I'm... like they're okay. saying they are considering what they proposed, even though it hasn't been um, approved and right. implemented into this new strategy. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely uh, keep our eye on that for sure. Mm, 
moving into a more familiar and perhaps consistently controversial topic. Another? Yeah, okay. another. <laughs> on December 19th, Wild Cumberland was present as attorneys presented oral arguments on the defendant's motions to dismiss in the Northern District of Georgia. Yep. Judge Sarah Garrity? Garrity? Yes. I think that's mm-hmm. how you say it. A few of us were able to attend... I'm glad because it wasn't really covered by mainstream media. Mm -hmm. I think there was a a legal news uh, outlet there. But basically, the state and the federal government were explaining to the judge why they think the case should be dismissed. And then the attorneys for the plaintiffs, who are the horses and, and others, were arguing why it should proceed. So both federal and state officials managed to argue that they were not responsible for the feral horses that are on both state and federal property (laughs) right Um, these things that are on our land aren't our issue (laughs) they covered what is the definition of livestock discreet and mandatory duties ownership of feral animals things like sovereign immunity and mandamus things related to something called the administrative procedures act and of course the endangered species act um it was a lot to take in sounds like a lot (laughs) it really was There was also a motion to amend the complaint filed by the plaintiffs just prior to this. So defendants have until, I think, January 16th to respond. The range of arguments that the state and the federal government used to try and absolve their clients of any responsibility was just kind of mind-blowing. I kind of think it's unfortunate that these folks have had to take legal action and the horses have had to take legal action to try and compel the people and agencies responsible to actually do something. Mm -hmm. The time, the money, the effort wasted by these agencies, it's kind of a disgrace. I mean, there were a lot of people paid to be in that courtroom that day. A lot of legal fees paid to argue all of those things. Um, And it's inconsistent with the federal priorities that we know exist for conservation. Right. So, Hmm. yeah. We will keep you updated on that, uh, and thank you for for giving us that update, Jess. And that could get interesting, an update. Oh yeah, because January 16th is right around the corner. Well, (laughs) right around the corner, and as you're aware, that continuing resolution only funded the government through February 2nd. So, there's some timelines we're working with. This financial uncertainty is frustrating for not only us, but just the general public and employees, partners gateway communities, everything. Uh, on that note, yeah. speaking of, gateway um, communities. our Camden County folks, you can get discounted ferry tickets. Uh, they are currently available for you first come, first serve. But this <laughs> offer is only available through February 29th. And I guess that's provided that the NPS uh, continues to that operate beyond funding. February 2nd. <laughs> right. And get their funding. Um, discounted tickets are only sold in person at the visitor center for same day trips. They are non-refundable and non-transferable. So you can't buy them the day before. Uh, only one adult slash senior ticket. Uh, they group those together. Um, per Camden County ID may be purchased at a time and adults may purchase up to four youth tickets per ID. Uh, and they save you about $13 per adult ticket. Okay. It's, I mean, it's a nice gesture. I wish it was a, maybe a longer window or... Maybe less know. restrictions. Right. Allowed some <laughs> you planning know, or... Would you say that it was a step in the right direction? It's a nice gesture. Okay. You are I correct. Agree. I agree. 
Also relevant to visitors who may be able to take advantage of those savings. Uh, this is a reminder that Cumberland Island Wilderness Area and the Plum Orchard Dock will be closed to the public twice this month for managed hunts. And those are scheduled for the 9th through the 11th and the 23rd through the 25th. Those are the final hunts of this year. So oh, they, okay, the, they'll they announce the, the new dates soon. Yeah. Good. Also, Kings Bay Submarine Base is, as you know, located adjacent to Cumberland Island. In fact, it's close enough that you can often hear a lot of its activities, and uh, you can even see it from a few places. Have you ever been stuck like on the ferry, Devin, waiting oh, for yeah, a yeah. sub to pass? Yeah, that was a nice like 45-minute delay or so. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it was good weather. Maybe. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Navy recently found no significant impact in its environmental assessment, or what they call an EA, for the demolishing, construction, and modification of a number of facilities at Kings Bay over the next five years. This work is being done in preparation for the arrival of the new nuclear Columbia-class submarine, which is the largest submarine ever built by the U.S. It's been authorized with an EA, the Environmental Assessment, rather than a more thorough and, I would say, stringent environmental impact uh, statement. Yeah. Submarine movement, as well as training and testing activities, are also supposed to be evaluated separately in an Atlantic Fleet Training and Testing Supplemental Environmental Impact Statement. <laughs> it's a this lot. It's a so mouthful. Many... Overseas Environmental Impact Statement. So oh, there's God. a lot of things that they could have potentially skirted with that EA, right? Well, I, it's true that an EA is less thorough, I think, than an EIS. And it is true that they have compartmentalized these into individual projects. So you're not really seeing the cumulative impact of the modifications to the base and the things that will be required to accommodate this Columbia class. Right. Um, and it's probably an appropriate time to mention or point out that Kings Bay was also included in a list that was released recently by the Department of Defense of military bases that have been identified as contaminating or threatening to pollute drinking water of their nearby communities with toxic P PFAS. Yeah, so. there's about 245 of those bases that are on that list. It's yeah. interesting to, to check out for sure. You, we link to it in the newsletter, of course, if you have any questions or are interested in seeing the list for yourself. Now, this next topic is pretty important. So let's take a brief pause here. We're not lobbyists or politicians. We're just average folks doing this, right? We understand that some of the bills currently being considered by Congress have long-term, potentially devastating consequences for wilderness areas, including, obviously, Cumberland Island. We also believe that an awareness of what's happening across the larger wilderness and recreation landscape is critical to our work. So, our friends at Wilderness Watch maintain a list of bills that have ramifications for wilderness areas. We absolutely recommend that you go straight to their website to review the list in its entirety and to take action as you see fit. Absolutely. But there are some that we would like to call out to our supporters specifically. First is the Connect Our Parks Act. Um, and this requires the Secretary of the Interior to conduct an assessment to identify locations in national parks which need broadband internet and cellular service. Yeah. So language in this bill suggests that all park wildernesses that currently lack cell service should have it. I think it's a little crazy, um, but there's <laughs> evidence service I mean, everywhere I mean, you go. There's evidence that visitor reliance on cell phones actually 
induces you to take risks you wouldn't otherwise. Right. Yeah. And, you know, most cell phones have the ability to reach 911 by satellite. Right, even, even if it says you don't have service, right? Got it. So, hmm. but this suggests they could do that and with minimal disruptions to view sheds and lands and wildlife that they would consult with quote relevant stakeholders and do it again in sort of a technology neutral way i don't know how you do that i don't even understand what that means but um it's justified as it relates to public safety and emergency management and even attracting qualified park service staff so go where um, the internet is well i mean if you're work <laughs> and i understand this because yeah. if you're employed and living in a park unit, you need access to information. And for sure, if you're, you want to be able to have timely communications with mm-hmm. other parts of the world. But come on, like if we don't know how to exist or have places that allow us to learn how to exist without technology, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. It's this huge safety net everywhere that the internet has, you know. Uh, then there's the Explore Act. And EXPLORE stands for Expanding Public Lands Outdoor Recreation Experiences. Again, super long. It's a mouthful. And that is over 200 pages. Uh, So it's a long read. It's a thick read, too. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's supposed to foster, and this is a direct quote, foster and encourage recreation on federal recreational lands and waters. Yeah. That has a lot in it. I tried to to read most of it. I didn't yeah. make it through the full 200 pages, it's a lot. but it has some things like the biking on long distance trails act bolt mm-hmm. that's supposed to help develop long distance mountain biking trails. And those are defined as what 80 miles in length. I think so. Whether comprised of one or more connected trails. Um, I think this bill also authorizes the signage for those trails as well. Yep. And then there's something called the Protecting America's Rock Climbing Act, Park Act, which has to do with affixing permanent climbing anchors in wilderness areas. And then there's another, we have got a couple more, but yeah. Simplifying <laughs> Outdoor Access for Recreation Act, SOAR Act. S-O-A-R. S-O-A-R. That's supposed to modernize the recreational permitting process for outfitters and guides. It's overall a lot to wrap your head around, even the names of the acts. <laughs> I always love those for sure, but it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of content. To and I'm not sure around. I can offer any insight onto SOAR uh, at all. But it does. One other thing that I think this bill does that is important, which is the FICOR. So it permanently establishes and authorizes the Federal Interagency Council on Outdoor Recreation, FICOR. This is like all seven agencies are supposed to work together to collaborate if they are providing outdoor recreation or have anything to do with managing natural and cultural resources. So this is Forest Service, Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Reclamation, Army Corps of Engineers, and NOAA. And that's all of them, (laughs) right? right? And sort of sounds like they're supposed to play nice together. We will see about that. (laughs) Then the Outdoor Recreation Legacy Partnership ORLP. That's the one I really have trouble with. Mm -hmm. O-R-L-P. Right. This is a dollar-for-dollar matching grant program. So it's really cool because the funds are used for acquisition and development of public parks and outdoor recreation spaces, especially in disadvantaged and urban communities. I think it covers everything. Hiking, camping, unstructured play, picnicking, cycling, building, course sports, everything. Outdoor recreation in any capacity. Bird watching. There's money available for it. But here's the kicker. Only state lead agencies are eligible to apply for the money. So they can partner with other agencies or local governments and parks 
and Native American tribes, but nonprofits, you know, just kind of fall under the lead of the state agency. Right. So, yeah. And uh, another act, last but certainly not least, there's the... <laughs> this one's my favorite, let's be real. Oh, yeah. The if protecting... you've listened to this podcast before... Yeah, yeah for sure. Know. And we covered a lot of this last month as well. There's a protecting access to recreation with cash, which otherwise known as the PARC, P-A-R-C Act. Another PARC. Which was referred to the Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. Because at least some folks think our federal government should not refuse its own currency for access <laughs> to public lands. Uh, I don't think it's getting any traction or has a very strong champion, so unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we did, though, while Cumberland reached out to the offices of several of our elected officials, Senator Buddy Carter, among others, uh, to ask about their positions, but no one responded. So That's some pretty heavy stuff to start out the new year, besides the North Atlantic right well stuff. That was probably... We, we yeah, the we, lightest material we this did. month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on that note, maybe it's a good time to sort of... Uh, acknowledge that our public lands histories are not somehow magically different than the rest of our country and there's a lot of deep and painful history tied to these areas Um, but these lands and how they're managed are imperative to our future so that's why our volunteers work to make sure you have access to the information and context necessary to generate your own questions and observations And all that being said, if anyone has questions or comments about any of these topics we've covered today, we really hope you'll let us know. Yeah, absolutely. You can always reach out to us by emailing us at info at wildcumberland.org or the form on our website. And before we go, in every email newsletter, we include links to articles and information that our volunteers think may be important to our supporters. And that includes, in our first newsletter of 2024, another article discussing the plight of feral horses on Cumberland Island yet another one details on the recently deployed subway cars plus the 1200 tons of concrete materials that were um i I don't want to use dumped because that's like a negative dump is a negative context but they were uh dropped off of georgia's coast to create artificial reefs and that's a really interesting read uh if you want to follow that link and we also have a link uh, about information about a community volunteer ambassador program implemented at a few park units. Now, Cumberland Island National Seashore isn't one of them, but Fort Frederica National Monument on St. Simons Island is. Uh, And by the way, all the positions are currently filled according to the website. Then you don't want to sleep on those opportunities we included in this month's newsletter. There were just a few really good ones. That's right. Registration is also closing soon for our guided adventure on Cumberland Island with Snake Root Eco Tours. That happens March the 17th through the 22nd. They're going to have so much fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you'll find a link to register for free virtual lunch and learn opportunities offered once a month by Camden County Cooperative Extension Service. Those look really good, too. There's like They're doing frogs. They're doing all kinds of cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining us to learn about what's going on related to Cumberland Island. You can find links to all of the topics we discussed today in our January email newsletter so that you can learn more and take action on the items that matter to you. Next month, we'll discuss an entirely new set of topics, provide details about upcoming events, and we may even have some updates related to seashore management. We know how valuable your time is, so thanks for choosing to spend some of it with us today. Stay wild. We can't do this work without your help. If you value the information and services our organization provides, including this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work now at wildcumberland.org.
Wild Cumberland is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and all donations are tax deductible. Learn more and take action at wildcumberland.org. The Wild Cumberland podcast is produced by Vertical River, and this episode was edited by Greg Cusson.